Happy Thanksgiving, dear saints. Every day for a Christian is a day of thanksgiving. Every day we should wake up and praise God that we are not going to hell. Every day we should wake up and praise God that we are children of God with an eternal inheritance as children of God that cannot be taken away. There is no moth that will eat it. There is no rust that will destroy it. There is no thief that can steal it. It is secure in Christ. And we, by the grace of God, are secure in Christ. And we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God to that end. I am blessed as we have been looking these many months to God's grace manifest in the pages of Genesis to mankind. I'm blessed to see our forefathers in faith for who they are, sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and ultimately Jesus Christ alone, the seed, the promised seed of the covenant, Jesus Christ, who would come and his shed blood. I'm blessed to see their humanity. I'm blessed to see their frailness, even their foolishness, because it gives me hope for me and for you, and ultimately in God. It gives me hope in God, not hope in me, not hope in you, but hope in God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Salvation is truly by grace alone through faith alone. And when you study the Old Testament saints and, I would say, the New Testament saints alike, you ought to be convinced that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And that ought to increase your faith in God, our Savior. That ought to increase your confidence and your trust. Before we open Genesis 37, do a bit of review and then pick up with fresh ground in chapter 42, let's look on this pre-Thanksgiving Lord's Day to Hebrews chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. But it's truly the Hall of Faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness in that He gifts us faith. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is not to our glory, but to God's glory and to His praise. So let's look at this hall of faith, and then we'll turn and unpack the pages of testimony regarding the saints who have walked in faith before us. Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, to which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testified of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that because God had taken him, For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. And Hebrews 11, verse 22, takes us to the end of Genesis and the patriarchs hall of faith, their walk of faith, their testimony of faith. Back briefly to verse 13 in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith. They all died essentially in the wilderness. They all died in a foreign land. Joseph died at the end of this testimony in Egypt, and yet he had his bones carried back to the promised land. None of them possessed the fullness of the land that God had promised them. None of them saw the full revelation of the covenant promises that God had made with them, but they trusted God and they believed God, for God is sovereign and His Word is sure. His Word is certain. Despite our experience, despite what our eyes see, what our emotions might feel, God's Word is true. God's Word is true. Despite our age, 100 years old, (laughs) God's Word is true. They would have an heir. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Dear saints, this is the key to thanksgiving. This is the key to victorious living. This is the key to a peace that surpasses understanding. Believing God. Believing God and His promises. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises. They didn't receive the promises in their 
brief life, that dash between those two dates on the tombstone that none of them got, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them. They were certain of them. They were assured of them. And God in His grace continually provided reassurance to them. And through that reassurance that He provided to them, we have reassurance again and again and again all through Holy Scripture. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them. They pulled them to their bosom. They pulled them to their chest. Oh, saints, as you come Lord's Day by Lord's Day, as you come Wednesday by Wednesday, as you come day by day to the Word of God, embrace God's promises. As you come to the simplicity of John 3.16, embrace God's promises, embrace God's truth and pull it to your chest. Let it be the, the breastplate of righteousness that guards your heart. Let it be the helmet of salvation that guards your mind. Let it be the girding on your waist that gives you a steel spine in the trials of this world and protects your innards. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Where we are now, we're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. We don't quite fit in. Some of you more than others. We'll talk later. We don't quite fit in here, and we're not supposed to. We're going against the flow, and so we shouldn't expect the fullness of God's promises in a fallen, dying, blaspheming, God-hating world. We should expect the fullness of those promises to come in the world that God has promised and that is certain, and that we are praying for daily to come. Thy kingdom come. And so we can pull these precious promises, the multitude of them, to our chest, to our heart, and hold them fast. And we can live then as victorious pilgrims in this earth, seeking a homeland. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and this is not it. This is not it. They desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Don't let the sin of this world, the hardships of this world, the tragedies of this world diminish your hope. Let them increase your hope. Let them encourage you to desire a better country. And while on an earthly plane, I desire a better country. And I say MAGA all day long. I know that this is not my home. And the Word of God seems very clear to me that things will get worse, whether it's now or later, things will get worse. And so my hope cannot be in this world or this great nation that I love. My hope cannot be in the last election or any coming election. My hope cannot be in the dollar, but rather the statement on the dollar. In God we trust. Now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That is our hope. And that is the hope that we see in the pages of Genesis. That is the hope that ultimately, in part, piece by piece, was revealed to the patriarchs of old. That is the hope that was revealed in Genesis chapter 37. 
in Joseph's dreams. This was one detail of that coming hope that Joseph would be elevated and that his brothers would bow down before him, that Joseph would be elevated and his mother and father would bow down even to him. And God used the revelation of that reality to send Joseph into slavery, to make him a slave. And then God, in his great providence and his all-wise superintending of all things that come to pass, took Joseph from slavery to prisoner status. And he did it through a great injustice. So God, who is just and holy and loves his saints infinitely, used a great injustice, the injustice of Joseph's brothers hating him, the injustice of Joseph's brothers plotting his murder and then ultimately selling him into slavery, the injustice of Joseph being accused of rape by this adulterous wife of Potiphar, the first recorded false Me Too accusation. And then we see Joseph imprisoned as an accused rapist, former slave, We find that the Lord sends a butler and a baker to the prison alongside him, and God gives him again revelation, special revelation, prophetic word from heaven to interpret their dreams. And one man dies according to God's providence and the interpretation God gave to Joseph, and one man lives, and the man who lives forgets Joseph. Two more years, it says. Two more years. The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's how chapter 40 ends. Again, injustice. And through the entire account, the entire history, Joseph is walking with God in faith. He's walking with God in righteousness. He's seeking to bring God glory wherever he's at. And he keeps going down, 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 suffering injustice upon injustice, hardship upon hardship, infamy, upon infamy. And yet he abides in faith, waiting on God and not men. His faith was not in the butler, but in God. So chapter 41, at the end of two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. God gave Pharaoh a dream. No one could comfort Pharaoh or give him the meaning of his dream. And then the chief butler, verse 9, as you recall says, oh, I remember my faults this day. There was that that guy, the guy in charge of the prison, apparently. Because as you recall, it says God was with him. It said that when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, God was with him. And then he is a would-be rapist in Pharaoh's prison. And it says God is with him. Hear me, if you are God's child... No matter where you're at, God is with you. No matter the injustices or the infamy you might be suffering, God is with you and he means it for his glory. And we are to walk with him in faith and give him the glory and wait on him. And we we may actually have to wait till glory. But in God's providence, the butler conveniently remembered his faults that day. Now that it would serve the butler, now that it would elevate the butler to remember his faults, he remembered his faults. 
So the Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph comes. Joseph, again, as he has throughout the entire account, gives God the glory. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph is always giving God the glory. Verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Could Joseph have elevated himself? Could he have slipped in a little bit of, you know, through my wisdom, God will show, or God, through my wisdom, could he, could he not have slipped a little bit of self in there? He could have. But he gives God all the glory again and again and again. Verse 32, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So, Joseph's worldview is that God is sovereign. God is in control. And Joseph is consistently not just living out that worldview, having pulled it to his chest, having embraced it, that God's promises are true. I can't see how they're going to come to pass. But God, let God be true and every man a liar. Even myself, should I try to let my circumstances contradict God's truth, God is true, this I know. God is sovereign, this I know. And therefore he abided in peace and in faith in the most difficult of circumstances. And he proclaimed that same sovereign God, that God in control of all things to all those around him, even though Pharaoh may not have been pleased to hear of this Israelite God, Yahweh God, Joseph, a slave rapist, prisoner, declaring the one true God to the Pharaoh. That's bold. That's faith. And that's the faith we, by the grace of God, are to have and can have. So he says the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. And of course, the thing is seven years of plenty, seven years of famine that would swallow up the seven years of plenty. Verse 38, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? You see the effect of Joseph's witness. Now, I don't know that Pharaoh got saved there, was born again from above, but I do know that he, at least in that moment, gave God the glory. He joined Joseph in saying that his God gave this understanding, gave this wisdom, Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over all my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And you think, well, that's not going to happen to me. And I've suffered some injustices in my life and things are hard. We will all suffer injustices, some greater than others. We live in a fallen world. And likely, the, the greater faithfulness to Christ is evidenced in your life, the greater injustices you will suffer in this world, ruled by the cruel one known as Satan, the enemy of God. But hear me, you think, oh, I, I won't end up being called by the president and given you know, authority over the mightiest nation on the earth, the United States of America, anytime soon. You know, I'm not going to be elevated like Joseph was, so what hope do I have? Here's your hope. Jesus Christ, 
King of kings has promised, has declared that we will rule and reign with him over the kingdom that has no end. That is unimaginable. We, wretched sinners, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, are going to be elevated to rule with him in some capacity. That is unimaginable. But it's true. It's true. So don't dare look at Joseph and say, that'll never happen to me. You're right, it won't. You will be elevated far above the position that Joseph was elevated to. All by the grace of God. Now there was no merit in Joseph. It was the grace of God in his life. His faith was a gift of God. There was no merit in us. It's all to His glory. Your life will follow the pattern of Joseph's life exactly. Oh, there will be details that are different, but that pattern will be followed exactly. Hold that truth close to your heart and never think that you have been ill-treated. by your loving God and your loving Savior. Verse 42, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen. Christ Jesus essentially is going to put his signet ring on your hand. Christ Jesus is clothing you in his own righteousness. You are being made children of God. You are even now children of God. And you will be clothed with Christ's perfect righteousness. All Joseph got was Pharaoh's ring and Pharaoh's fine garments and a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. Egypt's version of Air Force Two. I don't know if you get to ride on one of the Lord Jesus' special horses, or do I? (laughs) Will you be among that great army on those horses as he comes on that white horse? I do not know. And how great will your horse be if indeed you are amongst that number? How glorious. And all this at 30 years of age. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old. Good news for those of you older than 30 that are feeling the pains of it. Good news, this body of death would be put off. Years and years ago, I was at a Wednesday night Bible study, and there was probably a five-year-old there who had been around elder saints too long. And when it came time to give God praise and glory and thanksgiving, he said, I'm just so thankful that I'll be putting off this body of death or something to that end. (laughs) And all the older folks there laughed heartily. Uh, But it's true. It's true, right? He just was a little premature in that strong conviction that he had borrowed from some elder saints. So at 30 years old, I figured at 30 years old, you've, you've got some maturity. You're kind of in the fullness of your strength. And Joseph had reached the, the pinnacle of the world, really. He's ruling the world. Well, we will have perfectly restored health and vitality, powers of mind and body like we never knew, actually, in this world. Because <laughs> we've always been affected by the fall. 
And so praise God. Our position is far better than Joseph's. Far, far better. Now Joseph will be there too. This was just a foretaste of what was to come. He'll look back on that and he will not glory in being would-be lowercase l lord over Egypt. He'll glory in being a child of God and ruling and reigning with us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ, his Lord, his King alone. And then Lord gives him at the end of chapter 41, Manasseh and Ephraim, you'll recall, these two sons. Manasseh, meaning, for God has made me forget all my toil. And I'll remind you that God will make you forget all your toil. God will make you forget all your hardships. God will make you forget all your sufferings. They will not be comparable. You will not be willing or desirous to make any comparison. Oh yeah, well, I had to go through that. No, no, no. There won't be any comparison to the glory that's to come, to the blessings that are to come. God will wipe away every tear and they're not going to come back. He's not going to have to wipe them away daily. Now, there are tears in this world. There are real hardships in this world, terrible atrocities in this world. But there is the certain promise that we can pull to our bosom, pull to our chest, that in the world to come, death is conquered. Sin is no more. Our Father wipes away every tear. For God has made me forget all my toil. And then Ephraim, whose name means for God, has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has caused me to be fruitful. That's my one hope for all of you. That's my hope for me. This is the land of affliction. This is the land of affliction. This is our season of affliction. And it's a brief season in light of eternity. It's just a a moment. But this is our opportunity to magnify Christ in the redemption of sinners. Our one opportunity to magnify Christ in the redemption of sinners. That's why I plead with you not to run off to easier places. We're hearing of these great missionaries in Sunday school. Men who risked it all. And went to strange and foreign lands where disease abounded and death abounded and oppression abounded. Surrounded by people who ate strange things and spoke strange languages and all wanted to kill them. And they did so for the glory of God, the redemption of sinners. And here we are as American Christians saying, well, I'm just not comfortable anymore. In one of these 50 most blessed states in the history of the world. Those states that are experiencing more freedom than our incredibly free state, more prosperity than our incredibly prosperous state, those states should be saying, hey, we need to send some people up to those other states and to those other nations of the earth. But instead of American American Christians wanting to overtake America and seeing the dark spots as the place where the light of Christ must be spread, we're wanting to wall up. And hide the light of Christ in the Bible Belt. Satan will come with the Bible Belt too. You think God's going to let us rebuild some holy Jerusalem in the Bible Belt? No, Jesus suffered, died, and rose again. And he said, go into all the world and you shall be my witnesses. And you know what they did? They didn't go. And so you know what God did? He brought persecution and forced them to go. And they all left Jerusalem. 
going and preaching. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is the land of affliction. Not the land of comfort, not the land of ease, not the land of spiritual retirement. It's the land of affliction. And I'm with you. I'm a human with you. I desire ease and comfort. I like the perpetual easy chair. I like the easy button. I'd like to hit it every day, humanly speaking. But then I read my Bible and all that gets blown up. And I see the hall of faith. I see these men who left everything to follow God in faith, living all their lives surrounded by enemies, trusting God in faith for the glory of God. And I think I have one precious life to live. And this is not the totality of it. This, this life, this brief moment in time is not the totality of my being, my existence. This is the starting block. The gun has gone off and you've come off the starting block and you're running the track and you get caught up in the midst of this race thinking this is your entire life. This is everything. And it's so hard. The sun's shining down. Some of the people in the crowd are looking at you because you're falling behind and you know, that's embarrassing and, and your muscles are sore and sweat's running down and you know, maybe you should have a little more water. You feel a little dehydrated and you know, maybe I'll just give it up. Maybe I'll just sit it out. Maybe I'll just go find a spot in the stands. The track is not your entire life. You're, you're in the race. We're called to run to win it. Life really begins after this. After this. The older we get, you're getting closer to real life, eternity, eternal life, right? Is that not more real? That which is never going to pass away? That which is never going to change? This is just the race. This is just the war. This is the land of affliction. Our prayer is that God would cause us to be fruitful in the land of affliction. That we would see sinners saved. That we would sow that good seed and find saints in glory one day because of the seed we have sown. Fresh ground, chapter 42, Genesis 42. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. And so the seven years of fruitfulness have come, the seven years of barrenness have come, and the barrenness is swallowing up the fruitfulness and we have Jacob, now Israel, saying to his sons, look, we're going to die. Go down to Egypt. I've heard there's grain there. Is God not sovereign in this? Oh, yes. Perfectly sovereign. Verse 3, so Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Amazing. I had a dream. All our sheaves were out there, and your sheaves all came and bowed down to my sheave. And they mocked him and despised him. I had a dream. We were like the stars in the heavens, and your stars came and bowed down before my star, and my star was greater than all the rest. 
It was God's will. It was God's design for their blessing and to bring about this great nation called the nation of Israel through whom Jesus Christ, the great Savior, the seed of promise in the covenant given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the seed would come and that their spiritual descendants would be as the sand of the seashore and the stars of heaven. So Joseph's brothers come and they bow down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? Now, let me dispel any idea that this was sin on Jacob's part. I've heard sermons historically to that end. Oh, he was hard-hearted. He was unforgiving. The text does not say that. Don't read it into it. There's a couple things going on. One, let's test these brothers. They wanted to murder him. They sold him into slavery. Let's see where they're at. Because if they're evil, what's Joseph's duty to do? Bring correction to them. So there's the testing of them. There's also this. You are Pharaoh's right-hand man, but you're still Pharaoh's right-hand man. Pharaoh could change that circumstance. And if these brothers are disreputable and they come here doing evil as they had been doing evil, then you don't want to associate yourself with them. And so it's wise to keep a little distance on that level as well. So he sees his brothers. He says to them, where did you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Verse 8, so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And you think, how could that be? Well, he's been living in Egypt. He has adopted their customs and their dress. He's been eating their foods. He's no doubt adorned himself as an Egyptian. And he's speaking their language, the language of the Egyptians, not that of his brothers. And in their minds, he's dead. He is dead and gone. He is sold into slavery, and who knows what happened to him. Unlikely that he has survived this long. If he has, then he's in some hole somewhere, some slave laboring on. He's as good as dead to them. He's certainly not the ruler of Egypt standing before them. So Joseph recognized his brothers, and they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. We are honest men. Could be a bit of a stretch. Not spies. Well, that is true. Verse 12, But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today. And one is no more. As I said, he's as good as dead. They don't know what's happened to him. He's likely dead, but who knows? He's no more. He's gone. And they have zero suspicion that it's their brother they're giving an account to. It's their brother they've just bowed down to. Verse 14, But Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave the place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else. By the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three Days And it may well be, and likely is, that Joseph feared they had murdered his brother, like they had murdered or attempted to murder, effectually murdered, selling him off into slavery, making him no more. It is a likely 
ploy to see just how far their evil had carried them, had they done the same to Benjamin. Verse 18, Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. Now that might have got their attention. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Now, this is what I see, right? There are those that want to ascribe to Joseph some sin in this whole exchange. I see zero sin. I see God using this exchange to humble them, to break them, to sanctify them. They are feeling the weight of their sin and their consciences, and they're feeling like and coming to the conclusion that their sin has found them out. We just said how innocent we are. (laughs) We're honest men. But what do they know about themselves? They wanted to murder their brother, and they sold him into slavery. And they they know that God is sovereign too, even though they seem to have forgotten that for a time. And he has just said, I fear God, and he has just blessed them and shown some mercy to them, although he's going to retain one of them. Verse 21 They say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Verse 22, and Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? I remind you again that Reuben's terrible sin with Billa does not define him. It doesn't have to define you either. Whatever terrible sin is in your past, repent. Turn to God. His mercies are new every morning. It does not have to define you. You can be a new creature in Christ. Did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against this boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So Reuben, who once led them in sin, so to speak, committing this great sin against his father and the family, now is leading them in righteousness. That's good evidence of repentance, I trust, and not self-righteousness. Did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? It was good evidence of repentance then when he had said originally, let's not do this. Let's not murder him. Let's not sell him. Verse 23, but they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So Joseph's listening to all this. He's hearing all this. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Again, this is not evidence of Joseph having a hard heart. and He's, he's taken some, some shots to get you know, his pound of flesh out of them. No, he still is a man of faith, a man of grace, and a man of love. And he has a tender heart toward his brothers, and he's weeping over this weeping. Then he turned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did this for 
them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Oh, no. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who was lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father, who is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for your famine of your households and be gone and bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Now, in contrast to Joseph, we find Jacob, whose name is now Israel, despairing. We find him lacking faith. We do not find him trusting in the sovereignty of God. We find him at a low, low point in his life, in his walk, in his faith. All these things are against me. In contrast, Joseph, again, by the grace of God, all praise and glory to God. But Joseph was hated by his own brothers. They plotted his murder. They sold him into slavery. Then he refused the ongoing advances of Potiphar's wife that he couldn't get away from because he was a slave in Potiphar's house. Then she falsely accuses him of rape gets him thrown into prison. Then he helps the the butler out and the butler leaves him two more years in prison. And through it all, Joseph only, by God's grace, evidences faith and faithfulness to give God the glory, to give God the praise, and to walk with God in faith through all the unjust circumstances that he faced. In contrast, we find Jacob behaving much more like us. (laughs) All these things are against me. We find Jacob behaving like the psalmist at some points, as the psalmist cries out to God, despairing at some points. And yet, over and over again, the psalmist coming back to faith. Why so downcast, O my soul? but coming full circle back to faith in an almighty, all-holy, all-loving toward his saints, God. And so, all these things are against me. What's the reality there? Is that true? No! All these things are for him. They're all for him. God is working all these things in Jacob's life and in his son's lives for his own glory, God's glory, and for their good. 
and to bring about those eternal promises that God had given, that eternal covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All these things are working for your blessing. And that is the same confidence that we can have. That's the same truth we can pull to our chest, to our heart. Knowing, indeed, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. That is the truth. That is always the truth. It's hard to see it sometimes. I have compassion for Jacob. It's hard to see. As Hebrews 11 says, he had not received the fulfillment of any of these promises. (laughs) And it looks like it's all unraveling. And so he very humanly says, all these things are against me. No, they aren't. There will be times in your life that That is going to be the expression of your heart and likely the expression of your mouth. All these things are against me. By God's grace, may you be conscious of the reality that all the things that you're speaking of, they all came through the hand of an all-sovereign, all-loving God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the fullness of the wrath of the Almighty, to take the fullness of hell that your sins deserve on your behalf. And there is no wrath left. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Romans 8 opens up with before it ever gets to verse 28. There is now no condemnation. None of these things that have come through the hand of an all-sovereign God are condemnation. None of them are wrath. Some of them are chastenings. And others are simply God's providence for His glory and an opportunity to walk in faith that He might receive the fullness of His glory from your life. But none of it is wrath. None of it is condemnation. None of it is separation from God's love. As Romans 8 closes with, right? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. None of these things. And all of these things, in fact, Romans 8 closes with, and all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Pull that truth to your chest. Again, what is the end of our road? It's higher than Joseph's. If Joseph was, you know, the average guy, he'd be jealous of us. Oh, man. I was only second to the most powerful man on earth. You guys are going to rule and reign with Christ. And, of course, he'll be with us. So that'll help him, should he have a moment of carnality and jealousy. So this is a very human statement, ultimately, that we should have compassion for him in and compassion for others when they make it. And yet... We don't want to allow this kind of thinking to rule and reign in us. All these things are against me. No, they aren't. That very statement of Psalms that I spoke earlier, why so downcast, O my soul, that's a good statement. So when you feel like saying, why are all these things against me? Repeat back the psalmist admit, why so downcast, O my soul? Oh, let, me, let me think this through. Oh, I shouldn't be so downcast. Not this downcast. And again, not taking anything from the the reality of the darkness of this world and how horrifically dark it can get at times. But the light is coming. The light is coming. And it'll be forever. Verse 37, Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring them back to you. Put them in my hands. And I will bring him back to you. There are those that 
condemn Reuben for this state, and maybe it was just foolish sinfulness. Doesn't seem to be wise. Kill my two sons. Does seem to be sacrificial to me. At this point, Reuben seems to be repentant, seems to be making righteous choices. He didn't want to murder his brother. He has shown a change of heart and character. But God will be the judge of what truly was motivating his heart here. Verse 38, but he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. I just can't bear it. You'd bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. He's not at this point walking by faith. Chapter 43, now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why did you deal so wrongly with me as to tell the man whether you had... Still another brother. But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? And hear me, when we get out of a position of faith and we start living in a position of fear and faithlessness, these are the kind of things we we resort to in the natural man. We're living by fear, and thus it ruins our reason and relationships. So we blame them. Look, why did you do this? Why did you? And they reasonably say, come on, work with us, Dad. (laughs) We didn't do this. We simply went down there to get food so we wouldn't starve. He asked us about our family. We told him we couldn't foresee. He's going to say, hey, bring your youngest brother with you. That's not on us, Dad. Guard yourself from fear. Fear motivates us to do all sorts of things, say all sorts of things, not do all sorts of things we should do, harm relationships. The father's at odds with his sons. Verse 8, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones, and I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require of him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And so Judah, again, is showing a different character from that which he revealed when he sold his brother into slavery. Judah here is self-sacrificing. Verse 11, And the father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels, Carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And here Jacob evidences faith that he has walked by in years previous, he evidences that faith is still there. And I want to give you hope with Jacob in that faith 
waxes and wanes. Faith has mountaintops and valleys below. Faith is a gift from God, and we need to nurture our faith. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to feed our faith, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, which is, I trust why you're here today. And my prayer is that this Word will feed and strengthen your faith. But here there's a glimmer of the faith that is in him. Jacob is not an unsaved man because he wavers in faith. He's not an unsaved man because he acts in fear instead of faith and says foolish things to his sons. But he's not experiencing the victory that is his, which is tragic. He's not experiencing the peace that surpasses understanding that is his, which is tragic. And he's making his time in this world less fruitful as far as for the glory of God, which is tragic. But God will have his glory. (coughs) And so God, in his providence, works things to where Jacob must act in faith to some level. He must trust God. And so may God Almighty give mercy before the man. So he knows God is almighty. He knows God is sovereign. He's just not living like he knows that. We all know God is almighty. We all know he is sovereign. We all know he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. But we don't always, none of us, always live that way and think that way or especially feel that way. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So may we pull this truth, this word to our chest that we would feel. May we pull it to our minds, to our heads that we would think and to our hands and our feet that we would act in faith and not fear, knowing that God Almighty is our God. May God Almighty give you mercy before the man, and may he release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon." The man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks in the first time that we were brought in, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment, that we opened our sacks and each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our our money in full weight. So we had brought it back in our hand. And we brought down other money in our hands to buy food. And we do not know who put our money in our sacks. A fearful, honest, we are honest men, confession. Verse 23, then he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet and gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Again, they keep having to bow down before him to the earth. God's good providence. Prophetic word fulfilled. 
Verse 27, then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father's in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed down their heads and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked astonishment at, in astonishment at one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, for Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. There's a statement there. (laughs) I don't have time to elaborate on. Chapter 44, And he commanded the steward of the house, saying, Fill them in sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word which Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up and follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this one from which my Lord drinks? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die." And we also will be my Lord's slaves. Woo. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man had speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. So he searched and he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. And you could just see them defeated and broken. Verse 14, so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground. This is the third time at least. They fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. And he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, O oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word of my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. Judah steps up to defend Benjamin. They're not murderous toward Benjamin. They don't hate Benjamin. They're not going to sell him as a slave. Their character has been reformed by the grace of God. 
They have been sanctified through life and circumstances and God's grace working in all of this. Verse 19, my Lord asked his servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead and he is alone, is left with his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for he should leave his father. His father would die. But you said to your servants, unless... Your youngest brother comes down with you. You shall see my face no more. So it was when he went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we would go down. Then we will go down for we may not see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me. And I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring, me, bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, Since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, your father, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers." For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? You'll recall that all the sons, including, were dishonoring their father regularly, which is why Joseph was sent to look after them and to find them and see what they were doing. And now Judah's heart is completely different. Judah loves his father. Judah is honoring his father. Judah is loving and protecting his father's dear son, Benjamin. Judah is self-sacrificing, offering himself up in Benjamin's place. Chapter 45, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold to Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years of famine has been in the land... And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Oh, how beautiful. 
is this reunion? How beautiful is the providence of God? How beautiful is this disposition of faith? May God grant us such a faith as this, dear brothers and sisters, that we would rest in God's sovereignty, rest in his goodness, and trust him in his promises, pulling his promises to our chests. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great story of your faithfulness, for this great story of how you sustain the faith of our forefathers, whether it be Jacob, whose faith waxed and waned, but then was restored, or of Joseph's, whose faith burned steadily and strong. Lord, we thank you for our faith. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant that we would work it out with fear and trembling, knowing that you are the author and the finisher of our faith and that you will not let us go, that your promises are perfect and sure. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.